0: Thank you, Chris. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. You're really uh, welcome here, as Chris has uh, already said. Um, It's great to have you with us if you're new this morning. Um, In other words, if it's your first time or maybe um, you've only been here once or twice before, hope you feel welcome um, and hang out and say hello to us afterwards. We'd love to connect a little bit more with you. Um, I am going to be sharing this morning um, on our theme here, which is called Gilgal. Um, I'll explain a little bit more of that in a moment, if you aren't aware of what that is. Um, but I, uh, I, want, I, want, yeah, so I want to introduce that uh, theme to you a little bit more again this morning. We've been moving on that, but I just want to link it up from where we've been and, uh, and move further into the chapter. I am going to be talking quite a bit, a bit of a disclaimer up front. I'm going to be talking, because the passage talks a lot about circumcision, in this particular chapter, so I just want you to know if you're new here, I don't, I don't talk about it every week, it's not like a thing, like I love chatting about it, if I'm being honest, okay, but it's just going to be said a lot this morning, okay, so um, maybe you just want to like get over that in your mind, all right, um, I thought it would say at the start, right? It's 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 great. It's but it's great to be here. Um, September. I don't know, but you. but s- September can feel a little bit crazy, can't it? Particularly when you're coming out the other end of a pandemic and try, we're all trying to find ourselves a little bit. Um, I know uh, it's 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 felt challenging at times personally, and um, just lots going on in life, and it can feel a little bit difficult to get a hold of to get a hold of life as we try to reset ourselves in this season. I just want to say that because I know that a number of people are are struggling at this particular. time time in this moment and not necessarily looking forward to the winter. But we, uh, we just want to acknowledge that prayer for you, this prayer ministry after all of our services, so we'd love to stay, stand with you in that. But, but together, I feel like we're, we're moving forward somewhere as well, and hopefully this morning this will draw you into the narrative that we feel that God is unfolding in front of us. Um, where we're at, I think, uh, just even culturally at the moment, and where we are as a church chimes really well, I think, with the theme that we're looking at. And the theme, what we're looking at is this theme called Gilgal. And just really quickly, for those of you who are new and aren't maybe sure where we're picking up here, Gilgal was when the children of Israel moved into the Promised Land. So nobody in the first generation who came out of Egypt got into the Promised Land because of the disobedience. So when the new generation, apart from two people, when the new generation went into the Promised Land, they had a kind of first base was called, this place called Gilgal. And they set up camp at Gilgal and they reset and restored themselves and their identity, and renewed their vision for all that was ahead. It was like a, Gilgal is like the place where we have a sila. You know where it talks about in the scriptures, we kind of pause, and we think about where we're at. We breathe God in, and we reset ourselves for all that's ahead. It was the place where Israel remembered their story, they took of the Passover. It was the place where they recognised what lay ahead. It was the place where, we've rec- where we recruit for the assignments ahead. New new people came up. Bruno shared about a couple of weeks ago, and it's been brilliant. Just by the way, to say most of our teams are getting filled up with volunteers and serving as we apply this to our own lives and our own church. The children of Israel were on a journey towards a destiny. So Gilgal, while it was a kind of stop point, it wasn't some kind of nebulous, hollow, um, pointless kind of exercise. It was very important kind of stop point for all that lay ahead. A little bit like uh, for people that are into climbing, it's a little bit maybe like um, base camp if you're going to Everest, okay? It's a really important stop point, but it's for going somewhere. And, uh, and, and Gilgal was this kind of place for the children of Israel. And, and we really feel like as a church family, we are in a, a Gilgal moment. God is, is growing us, but he's also deepening in us, resetting us, um, getting us prepared for how we move forward. And that is important. I've been a part of the church long enough to know that the hardest thing I think to deal with in church life is when not everybody goes with you. That the people that, you know, you were friends with and you built things with and you grew with, as things move and things grow and teams grow and people mature, that not everybody, not everybody gets it. And We tend to almost over-sentimentalize the past at times, get over-nostalgic about things and or just not like change. And Gilgal becomes this place where we challenge ourselves a little bit to be shaken out of what went before. God recognizes that point. I haven't got time to go into it, but there's a whole principle at that particular point in the story as well where God encourages the children of Israel to go and bring stones out of the River Jordan to build a memorial. So there's a place for memory, a memorial, and in in the right sense, thanking God for everything it's been before. But there's also a place where we, just as human beings, kind of need a bit of a jolting out of what has become familiar as well in order for us to really move into the purposes and plans that God has for us. And this is what Gilgal was all about. And we are growing up as a church, we are growing up as a people, we're maturing in our destiny. We were never supposed to stay the same. Some of those changes that happen are because we're actively pursuing God. Some of them come because life just hits us sidewards sometimes, like throws curveballs at us. And we've no real rhyme or reason sometimes to why they happened, and there's a degree of mystery all connected to that, but we have a choice to make in the midst of those places. And God wants to stretch and has been stretching us. In order that we may grow into who God has called us to be, we, we have to contend with this in our families. Some of you have much more experience in this than me, but as our, as our kids grow up, as our families grow up, there are growing pains, not just physically <laughs> but emotionally and, and, and in all the dynamics of family life. And, and if people get stuck around trying to keep family members or siblings in a certain place that they were when they were a certain age, it just gets complicated as they get older. We have to, we, we're, we always are becoming something. It's kind of innate within who God created us to be as image bearers. And so when all that's going on, if you don't tend to your heart, if you don't tend to the garden of your soul, then weeds start to come and you start to get better and you start to get hard-hearted and you start to reminisce, over, over-reminisce over and, you, and you, you don't, we don't move with where God wants to bring us. And we really believe that God is allowing us this Gilgal moment To do some work in us to jolt us out of what maybe sometimes feel familiar or to bring to the surface some things that we've been carrying that god is saying here if you're going to be a promised people if you're going to move into destiny and inheritance you can't bring that bit with you (laughs) i need to do some surgery here and so uh, we want to encourage one another in this season of teaching on this series to tend to the work of our hearts, and to do some inner work uh, as we move forward. Remember what I said at the very start when we introduced this series, a helpful way to think of how we journey through life is both straight lines and circles. Um, we we need, we need both in our lives. Um, we see it in the Bible. Um, it's not maybe so much a straight line, it's but there is a sort of linear direction, if we want to put it like that, in terms of where the Bible is going. It's moving from a garden to a city. Um, our lives are moving somewhere; they're not supposed to be static. But at the same time, we have these moments in our life where we realise what we're becoming is actually more of what we were born to be. So I'm not necessarily doing what I was doing when I'm 20. When I was 20. Uh, I'm now double that age, right? But the DNA of who I was when I was 20 is still there. It's just become richer and deeper and more. Un- I understand it better, and it'll be more of that again when I'm when I'm 60, and when I'm hopefully 50. Which is, not far away. Anyway, right? So all, all, all those things, our life is both straight lines and, and circles. And, and, and the circle allows us to be restored in our identity. If we don't go round the circle now and again and just take a stop and, and go round those rhythms that are important and have those rhythms in our life, you know, there's, there's something that in one way is very monotonous when we just think about it, about getting up in the morning every day and reading your Bible. But we go round that circle every day because what happens to us when we do that is we're becoming more of who we're created to be in order to allow us to walk forward, not off the path, but to go straight lines, to walk towards the destination that God has for us. And and Gilgal actually means circle. If you go into the kind of etymology of the word, it's like either circle or wheel. And, And so later on, we'll be talking about, in a couple of weeks, I think Debbie's going to be talking about how God wheels away or rolls away shame right? And that's where the word Gilgal comes from, the place where we go around the parts of our identity to allow the Lord to heal and restore and deepen. And I just really sense the Lord wants to do this with us at the minute collectively. And the reason that I sense He wants to do it with us collectively is because we've discerned it as a leadership team, but also the way that God confirms this is when you talk to individuals. And I I know a number of you are going around some stuff in your life at the moment. God is bringing some stuff up to the surface, maybe some trauma from childhood, maybe some relationship He wants to mend, maybe some brokenness that's never fully been healed, maybe some father or mother issue that the Lord really wants you to tend to your heart to, because in order for you to carry what He wants you to carry into the land of promise, He, he, he needs to do that little bit of work so that you have even more capacity to carry what God wants you to carry. You can't actually carry any greater kingdom authority until some of that stuff is dealt with and the capacity is created to contain more of the presence of God. It's like God is carving us at the moment and carving some of our hearts. He's, he's, he's doing that thing almost like a potter's wheel kind of analogy where He's hollowing us out so that we can become more true and real and carry all that he has for us. That's what I think Gilgal is all about. And so the children of Israel were moving somewhere. A land was flowing of milk and honey that they were coming into. And you can imagine, imagine this, like, you know, just try and put yourself in. Their mums and dads have been slaves and their mums and dads have been slaves. For generations, they had a slavery, poverty mindset. And then God breaks in, delivers him from Egypt, brings him into the wilderness, tells them that through them, he wants to showcase his dream for the world through them. Essentially, says, I want you to steward the resource and the abundance of heaven for all nations. that, That would be tough to get your head around, wouldn't it? You'd have to do work. And unfortunately, the story is that that generation couldn't get their heads into that mindset. And so God had to allow that generation to die, to allow a new generation to rise up. But even still, they must have had that script hardwired into them in some ways, mustn't they? They must have heard their moms and dads say little things, have little phrases, you know, kind of resort to little ways of thinking that they thought, you know, we're going to have to do some work if we're going to become the people that God has really called us to be. To do what they were going to have to do, they were going to have to learn how to become a promised people. We see this even in the, in the mainstream, sometimes in culture. Do you ever read those really sad stories of the people who win the lottery? I think they've made programs of them, haven't they, where, where they just don't know how to steward it. You just get loads and loads of money in one big payout, and then within a couple of years it's, it's, it's blown because the mindset hasn't been renewed enough to deal with the new reality that's in front of them. And if God really wants us to win a nation, do you believe he does? Um, Or or are we just like, you know, we just come to church doing our thing every week and, you know, punching punching in the Sundays until Jesus returns? Or do we really feel like he wants us to transform a city? Do we really feel he wants us to win a nation? Then we're going to have to steward the resource of heaven. We're going to have to steward big resources. We're going to have to steward, I believe, millions of pounds. Why? Because God wants us to be rich? No, because God wants to transform cities and nations, and it's going to take that. It's going to take systems and structures to be shaped and changed and education and health and business and all of those things. And if, if we have a mindset that is built upon kind of slavery, or pop, then, then we won't be able to steward the abundance of heaven. We've talked a lot about that in our stewardship theme of being blessed to be a blessing. But th- this is what Gilgal was all about. It was because to become who we want to become, call- who God wants us to become, I, I don't know if you've realized it or not, but there's resistance to that. There is a force, an energy, a personality, a dark, evil personality called the devil. The Bible calls him the Satan. And through the world and the flesh and Satan himself, he wants to resist us from coming into that destiny that God has for us. And so we need time to be formed and to circle around who God is calling us to be. We need to have that core identity inscribed, carved into, imprinted, burnt, brandished, whatever word you want to use, on on our hearts. And the children of Israel, if you could say it like this, they need it marked. They need it marked by the presence of God. And that's one thing I'd love you to think about this morning. Well, numerous things, but I'd love you to think, when was the last time that the presence of God marked me? Like, it really marked my life. It wasn't just a nice song that made me feel better. It wasn't just a good sermon that, you know, picked me up a little bit. God's presence actually marked my life. And I can go back to a moment or a season when it marked me, it changed me. It hurt, it cost, but it marked me. And so in this particular part of the journey, as I said, this is where circumcision comes in. So you'll forgive the amount of times you're going to say it. But the children of Israel were well and truly marked Okay, so let's read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. At that time, the Lord, I think it's on the screens. If you've got your Bible, turn to it, that's great. I'll read it for you. At that time, the Lord said to Moses, or sorry, to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. I mean, part of me wants to go, God, a flint knife? <laughs> Holy smoke, Right. Maybe that was cutting-edge technology in those days, right? But it still sounds sore to me, right? Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness, this this generation, during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt and died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land He had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. And so He raised up sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained in the camp. They remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. <laughs> I love that last little line. Thank you, God, for allowing some time for healing, right? They went out to battle three days later. So, like, they didn't get long. But um, so, so can you imagine, like, all these... um this new generation, they'd just seen a miracle. they just come through the River Jordan. God has stacked the waters up as far away as Adam. They come through. They have this big, massive shout. Talk about coming down to earth. You know, a reality check, right? Now we're going to circumcise you all. And you've got three days to get better again before we're going to go to battle. All right? That's basically what we're talking about here. But the new generation have come into the land that their fathers weren't allowed to come into. They were for, they were forbidden to enter. They were carrying the hopes and dreams of God for the nations because they were the children of Abraham, right? So Abraham had been given the promise over four hundred years before that he was going to be a, he was going to be blessed. His children were going to be blessed, and overflowing out of his children, his descendants would be blessing to all nations. And so these slave children of of of, of slavery of the generation above them who were slaves, they were carrying the same promise. They were descendants of Abraham. And they, they 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 had to come to know that and they had to be reminded of this. So this was, the cha- this was the this was the moment that they were going to get the chop, right? To to recognize who they were and who they were in the story. And so, what really, was, what really was circumcision? Apologies, as I said at the start, for talking about it so much. But it's a biblical thing that we need to try and understand. Because uh, it, an, it talks about it in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament, which we'll come to in a moment. But thankfully, it doesn't happen anymore in our cultures or for Christians and followers of God. It was an ancient practice that God used to initially, with Abram, seal a promise. That through him all nations would be blessed. We can't underestimate the promise that God gave to Abram. God had already tried to restart the world once or twice, with after the flood and after Babel. And now he chooses a man called Abram. And he says, Through you, Abram, all nations will be blessed. My very dream for humanity is going to be with you. And so God binds himself to this man called Abraham. But he really had to work with Abraham to help him understand what he was carrying. And so the promise God made to Abraham is what the Bible calls covenant. And covenant is a really important term. It's how we and what we build traditionally, what we build marriage upon. It's a promise of commitment, of real depth. It basically says, everything I am is yours and everything you have is mine. We ruggedly commit to one another in sacrificial love. This is the principle that it's built upon, where we give ourselves up for the sake of the other. It's really deep. It's really profound. It's really holy. It's really exclusive. It's, to be, it's not to be shared necessarily with everyone, but it's it's an exclusive kind of thing. And marriage, in some ways, is how we see this practiced, maybe most vividly, what God wanted to do with humankind. And so God was saying to Abraham, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to give you this promise, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help you understand the type of relationship that we're going to have in order for us to be one so that you can carry my dream for the world. But it's going to cost you everything, Abram." Because it's costing me everything and it's going to cost me everything. And so it's going to hurt Abram. It's going to, something is going to be done to you because something of you needs to be cut off. Part of your sin, part of your flesh, part of your independence isn't going to need to be cut. So you can enter into relationship and oneness with me at such a depth of intimacy. You're gonna you're gonna have to give something up. You're gonna have to, in a sense, sorry to be so graphic, you're gonna have to, in a sense, go under the sword in order to come back into relationship with me. Something's gonna have to die. It's interesting, just as a side note, uh, for Tim Keller to think for this, but when you think about the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden because of their sin, what was stationed at the Garden of Eden? It was a cherubim with a flashing sword. In other words, in order for you to re-engage in the fullness of the intimacy of the relationship that God wants to have with you, something is going to need to be cut something is needed going to go under the sword. A sense of heart surgery is going to have to happen in order for you to come into the fullness of the relationship that God wants to have with you because there's something within us that resists the love of God. It's the, it's the root of sin. It's the root of self. It's the root of pride. It's the root of independence. It's the root of all of those things. And that, that is, something has to be done about that in order for you to engage but why circumcision? Like, why not just a tattoo on your arm or something that looked a bit cool? Like, let's, let's not think about it too much, but let's just think about it for a moment, right? Why? Partly because it's an intimate place. Partly, uh, even though in our culture today we don't treat it as intimate. But it, it's supposed to be an intimate, sacred, kind of mysterious thing that is kept for an exclusive relationship, and, and God is intimate, and He wants us to love Him. It, it's also partly because it's the organ of the body that generates life. It's where generation after generation after generation come from, and God wanted the children of Israel to know generationally, the descendants of Abraham, that they were carrying something. But it's bloody. It's gross. We don't like to think about it. It's embarrassing. It's even a bit shameful. Come on, God, just mark us somewhere else. We want to say it when we read these. Why is it why is it why is it that act? Why is it something so bloody, something so gross, something so embarrassing? Because it's an identification with sin, because sin while it seems pleasurable at the start, sin is gross. Sin is sin very, is, and sin does damage. It does serious damage. And it can feel good at the time initially, but we only have to look at our world to see the damage that sin does. And Abram had to know all those years ago when, in many ways, he was the first to undergo this. He needed to know that to walk with this God and carry God's dream for the world, something was going to need to be marked. He was going to need to give something up. And so, God circumcised him and his sons, and that's, that, that, that was passed down through the generations. And this tradition seems to have continued for 400 years, and even the children of Israel who were in Egypt seemed to then have been circumcised, but the ones who came out didn't and weren't. And so, we come back to this Joshua generation, this new generation. And probably they're thinking, we've got off with it, you know. We heard of this kind of thing that happened to her mom and dad, and it's not going to happen to us, maybe. But God wanted to remind them of the greater story that they were part of. They were Abram's children, and they were part of God's plan as his descendants, not just to come out of Egypt but to walk into the land of destiny. And what this promise that God had given their forefather, Abram 400 years ago had been intensified like dramatically in the wilderness where God came down on, a, on the mountain in a fire and a cloud and the whole earth all around them shook and God spoke to them and he said to them, you're my treasured possession. You're going to be a holy nation, and you're going to be a royal priesthood. I've carried you like an eagle does with her little chicks. I've carried you on eagle's wings into the wilderness. I'm setting my love upon you. Through you, I want all nations to know who I am. God wanted them to become aware that they belonged to Him, that they were people of destiny to carry His love, His holy love in the world, and it would involve giving up every other love, because that is what sin is. Sin resists the love of God. And so the Israelites were marked in this place. Gilgal is the place where we are marked by the presence of God. And I guess the application for us as we try to make this seem more relevant, maybe for where we find ourselves, is God's presence should mark us God's presence should cut some stuff back in our hearts. It should change us and transform us. It's 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 not just a pick me up. It's not it's not just a little kind of mood swing kind of thing. It it's something that that does something deep in us. And see, it's really easy for us to think as kind of With our modern sensibilities that were so far kind of further on than the civilization of that day, when all these sorts of awful things happened and God used this ancient practice. But when we look around the world today, guys, come on, just like look at our world. Look at how damaged it is. Look at what sin is doing to our world. Look at what humans do to other humans. Look at what humans do to themselves. How how damaging is the world in which we live, it's bloody. It's gross. It's not what it's intended to be like. We sometimes watch the news. There's some stories on, come on to my news app, but I just, I find it even hard to read them because it's just, it, I don't even almost want to comprehend it. It's so bad at times or it's so, it, it just, it's just, it's just awful. And yet, sometimes we don't allow the work that God wants to do in our hearts to start with us because, you see, the curvature of the human heart will always bend back in itself because that's part of the problem of sin. And so, what's the solution? Well, thankfully, we don't have to be circumcised today. Why? And it's not just because culture's moved on. It's because a number of reasons maybe, but the main one is this. Jesus was, in a sense, circumcised for us. Everything that is bloody and gross and damaged in the world, He took on Himself. And the only reason that we can receive the news that the presence of God marks us is because He was marked. (laughs) He was marked more than any man. He took in His own body the sins of, of the world, the damage, everything that was evil and bad and wrong and beaten and broken, and he took it on his and in his own body. Look at this particular scripture in the New Testament, then in Colossians. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, praise God, by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The circumcision of Christ. It was almost like Jesus, in this kind of cosmic circumcision for all the world, was cut off from the Father, was cut off from the love that he had known, was cut cut off from all of these things in order that you and me could come into relationship with God, could be restored, and our hearts could be transformed into His likeness so that what needs to happen to us is not something made with hands, but is a heart surgery that changes us from the inside out. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were always raised, with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Circumcision was only ever supposed to be a physical sign of what God wanted to do in our hearts. It was always only a means to an end. Even with Abraham, the end was not that he would have the physical mark of circumcision. The end was that he would one day even take his own son, the very promise of God himself, and place it on an altar, and God would go, now I know, now I know. Yeah, the the goal is that what we know we ought to do, and what we do, when they become one, then you know that the work of circumcision of the heart has been done. You see, sometimes people get tattoos, don't they? And often, I was going to put some pictures up of the ones that go wrong, but I thought you get too distracted, right? But sometimes we write, like we get uh, tattoos on our arms or our legs, or maybe often you see people with names them. Why, why do they do that? Often people do it because they carry those people in their heart. The reality is God marked his people because he wanted their hearts in the Old Testament, but circumcision, as we've said, was much more intimate. Than just any other marking in the body. And even though this was a practice in the Old Testament, it all points to the cross because the only way we were truly going to be gods was if he did something we couldn't do for ourselves, he would be marked. And here's what I feel like the Lord wants to say this morning to some of you. He's still marked. Jesus is still marked. He, he comes in front of the disciples with holes in his hands and holes in His feet in a resurrected body. So, He's triumphed over every sin. He's triumphed over every area of brokenness. He wants to make new everything that's gone wrong in our lives. And yet, He carries the scars of what He went through for us to know that your scars and your wounds matter to Him and to know that He can do something with those wounds and with those scars and with that season you're going through right at this particular moment, that He can do something with those to transform your heart so that you can carry even more of His heart for the world in which we're called to live. You see, the story of the Old Testament actually ended up proving that you could be circumcised outwardly and miss God's best anyway. This is what happened to the children of Israel. They started to see it as something to be proud of to boast in for many of them as the centuries rolled on but jesus opened the way not just for the children of israel but for the whole world to deal with the fundamental problem that israel had that the whole world has which is the stuff in our lives that continues to bend back in itself to want our own way to reinforce our own independent thought patterns and jesus died so that we could go under surgery and come out new by just appropriating what he did to our own lives. This was the message of the New Testament. And thank God, people like Paul fought hard for this. When the new people started to come into the church, some of the Jews and the elders of Judaism, they wanted this to happen to everyone. But Paul Paul fought really hard for this, as did the other disciples. Look at this in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. Isn't that beautiful? by the Spirit and not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The work of Jesus on the cross, the way He he marks us with His presence, when we appropriate what He has done on the cross to our lives, when we we acknowledge what He's done and when we apply it to our lives to be changed, we're made new. And... um, I can go back to different points in my life. I remember when I was seventeen and I was I was I was in a relationship, I was a good good person, but I knew it wasn't right. I knew God wanted my life. I knew I had to give that relationship up. And um part of me can put it down to being seventeen, not really knowing myself and thinking like, you know, I was in love and that and hadn't a clue, all that kind of stuff. And it was just like an emotional little phase. I could say that. Or I could say, no, maybe there's a bit of that going on, but I know that God wanted my life at that particular point. I knew that I had to give something up. I knew His presence was wooing me into a deep relationship with Him that was going to change my life, and hopefully through that I could change others. But I knew it was going to cost. I knew I had to give something up, and the presence of God marked me. I can go back to that point. And numerous times since... I've had moments where the presence of God has marked me. I, I always love coming into God's presence, but we come into times, I think, and come into seasons where He calls us to give something up. He marks us in a way in order that we can know more of His love. And maybe, maybe some of us are going through that. Maybe we have to give up a relationship. Maybe we have to become so attached to a particular identity or to a particular person or to a particular family member we, we have to give up an attachment to something because God is looking to fill it with His love. Maybe God's asking us to give something away. Maybe He's asking us to give away some money because our attachment is to that. Maybe He's challenging us about our ego. Maybe there's a particular insecurity that we've been, cha- we've been carrying for years, and God says, listen, gently and tenderly, I have been marked so you can be healed. And, and as we mature... For some of us, I think we've matured so much with the Lord, it's a beautiful thing, but we just don't understand what's happening. He actually asks us to suffer with him. <laughs> and that, that, that's kind of like another level, and it's, it's, it's really, really tough. But Paul would pray, God, I want to know you, not just in the power of your resurrection, but in the fellowship of your sufferings. So he's in a sense saying, God, I'm okay if you want to show your wounds of the cross through my life and through my body and through how I live my life because I've come to realize that the love that you have is worth giving up everything for. And, and some of you may well be in that place, you know, you've, you've come, you've, you've actually sung that song or prayed that prayer and you just don't actually even realize at the moment that the Lord is allowing you to fellowship with him in his sufferings. And uh, as sore as that is, imagine carrying in your own body the cross of Jesus and revealing it to the world. And if you're going through a time, like, I'd really love to pray for you afterwards. And here's what I've come to realize as I, as I kind of conclude this. The world marks you as well. Doesn't it? Doesn't the world mark you? Like, stuff happens. Life can beat you up a bit. Worldly systems will try to destroy you, if I haven't already noticed. The devil wants to steal and kill and destroy. In one way, I don't want mean to be so kind of, you know, kind of flippant in this statement I'm going to say, but either way, you're going to get marked. One way or the other, we're going to be cut. And I've come to realize in my life, if anyone's going to mark me, I want it to be Jesus. Because he is, he is the perfect vine dresser. <laughs> and any cutting he does, any marking he does, is so that I can become more fruitful in him and carry more of his favor, which brings me beautifully to John 15, as I kind of conclude this. Jesus says, I am a true vine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off any branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, <laughs> right? So if the branch doesn't bear fruit, it's going to get cut off. If it does bear fruit, it's also going to get cut, but it's going to get cut in a gentle, tender way. I'm the, I'm the world's worst gardener. I don't like it, like weeding when I was a child was like the ultimate form of torture from my parents, all right, and just uh, all of that kind of, I've grown to like it a little bit, all right? But my mom on the other hand, she's amazing at that, she loves it. And, um, and sometimes when we were doing work in the garden, when we were growing up, my dad, he loves a chainsaw. Right, so she, he would be like, would you, like to, would you cut this? And my dad would be running about like a maniac with a chain store, just like loving cutting things and just taking things out and all of that. And then my mom would be, no, 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 Alan, don't cut it. My dad's called Alan as well. No, no. And she's shouting at both of us probably at the same time. Right? Don't cut it that way. Don't cut it that way. Because no, she was bringing a tenderness to the process because she knew that there could be fruitfulness, even with the things that we thought were dead. So the things that my dad or I thought, well, that's a good opportunity to cut that down. It's dead. She was able to say, no, no, there's potential for life here. If it's just pruned the right way, if it's just handled the right way, if it's just cared for the right way, we can mark this thing, but we can mark it in a way that's going to bring fruitfulness. It's going to bring them into the next, it's going to bring that plant into the next dispensation of its growing life. And God wants to do that with us, this is what Gilgal is all about. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, the Father is the perfect gardener. If we remain in Jesus and allow him to prune, it will only lead to fruitfulness. I felt Jill's word last week was prophetic for us about stewarding favor. But you can't steward more favor unless the pruning and the marking and the cutting has been done. I think Bill Johnson all, years ago said this great little phrase I've never forgotten, any discipline God gives is only because you know, he knows you won't be able to handle his blessing. It's, a, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's a, it's a total kind of game changer in how you think about discipline. The discipline of the Lord is only because we wouldn't be able to handle the fullness of the blessing that he actually wants to pour out in our lives. And so when we engage in the process of allowing him to do what he wants to do in us, it's so that we can steward more favor and steward more fruitfulness. And I just really want to encourage you with that. God is, I feel, all over this place this morning and in our lives, I feel like he's refining, he's cutting away, he's marking us with his presence. And I think that's why he just wants us to to keep circling around Gilgal for a few more weeks in this season. All, all, all the metaphors in the Bible where God really uses their, like, even, like, let's switch metaphors just for a moment, like fire. Like fire. God wants to fill us with the, we sing that, don't we? Let your fire fall, at the fire of the Spirit. Like, but we all, the fire burns, you know? It kind of marks us. It's, you know, it's, it, it heats us and all of that, but it can burn us. And, and when we allow God to do what he's doing, he's he burning up the dross like the burning bush. He won't consume us. But, he, but He'll mark us with this. And, uh, and I just feel like God wants to do that. And I think it's a sign, just to encourage you, I think it's a sign of our m- maturity. I think it's a sign of how we're maturing in the Lord together as a people, that He He, he, he wants me and us as a leadership to share these kind of messages, because I think He's taking us into new places, but He wants to do that deep work. And for those of us, it's just just want to say again, reiterate, for those of us who are really going through things at the moment that we feel like we can't even really see answers for, we're not really sure why we're going through them. We're not quite sure why God let them happen and all of those things. I just really want to encourage you that God does want to redeem and use those things to create incredible capacity in you, to show the world what it's like to know God and His resurrection and the power of His sufferings. Brennan Manning once said, in the battle of love, only wounded soldiers can fight, and I, I love that. We're, we're we're talking in the days ahead about recruiting an army to go forward, but this isn't like a military. We're not we're not like walking forward with our flags, trying to put our stamp on Portadown in some kind of triumphalistic. We are the way. We are the people. We've got it all. We are we're we're wounded soldiers, <laughs> wounded healers, who, who can fight in the battle of love because we've allowed God to mark us in ways in our own lives that become a receptacle for his love to pour through and to flow through to meet others. And I just convinced as I look around the room this morning, I see all your faces. Every face has got a story, but I just really believe that God is bringing each of you into that place where we can be marked by his presence in a way that we can overflow with his love. And so let's, um, let's pray as I close here. We have ministry available and love to make, make that available, but if, if I just get that sense this morning as a close, it would just be really good for people to to respond if, if you feel like you do need to respond just to this message this morning, God has been speaking to you, and you 're just almost saying in a, in, a, in a place of God, I, w- I want to be available to this work that you 're doing. I just love for you to stand I just i 'd love to pray for you for a moment if you, if you need to stand, just stand now. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to release you to go and get get the children and get the kids. And then there will be prayer ministry as well. Thank you, Jesus. Just a few more more seconds. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're moving. We bless your presence in this place. We bless your presence in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, God, I I thank you that you're here this morning, that you're working, that you're alive. Thank you, Lord, as we sung, you're greater, Jesus. You're greater, greater than it all. And thank you that grace and mercy has found us. And, Lord, I, I just want to pray that each one of us today, Lord, would uh, hear your word, be not just hearers of your word, but doers. And, Lord, I want to pray that you, Father, the perfect gardener, as you walk into the the, the gardens in this place, the souls like gardens, oh, God, in each of our lives today, but particularly those who are responding, we just say we trust your good work, Father. We trust that you are a tender, tender Father, the best gardener there is who knows what to pull out, who knows what to cut back slightly in order for us to to bear more fruit. And so, God, I trust and pray a greater release of the work of your Holy Spirit in each life this morning. I pray that you renew our minds, restore our souls, revive our hearts in your love. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Do even more. To do even more in our hearts we pray. Lord, I pray for us as a church body that in the days ahead that we would have moments in your presence where we know we're being marked. I pray that we would not run from that, but we would go through that because we know that we're being brandished with the fire of your love in order to overflow with that and burn with that in the world where you've called us to. And in it all, we're becoming more of who you have called us to be. And so I pray your blessing. Jesus, you being the author and finisher of our faith to continue to perfect that work within us in the days ahead, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.